You know, when you sing Christmas carols like that, and you lift up Jesus, everyone gets lifted up, don't you? I remember I, I was walking in here today, you know, Pastor John's sick. They call me on the phone. I got to come and preach. And I'm a little bit, you know, like this a little bit. Come and sing carols with all of you, with the family, and just God gets lifted up. Everybody gets lifted up. Peace on earth, huh? Isn't that exciting? It's great to be alive on Christmas. The season, that's for sure. Well, God is good. All the time. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Now stand up. Give somebody a hug, okay? Amen, amen. The title of our sermon is called Anticipating the Moment. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to just ask you uh, today that you would forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word. And that you would speak to your people, that you would speak to them, that you would enable us to not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of it. That you would not just stir us, but that you would change us, Lord. Lord, we are anticipating today what you're going to do in this service. And we ask for the fullness of your spirit to lead and guide and direct us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Again, the title of my sermon is called Anticipating the Moment. Now, anticipating the moment for what? Growing up, <clears throat> my family never went to church. My father was an atheist. So we never were in a service like this. And growing up, I didn't have any real understanding of who Jesus was or what he had done until I got to college. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. But Christmas, to me, wasn't about Jesus at all. It wasn't about Christ at all. Matter of fact, if I would have been sitting in the service with you, and I would have heard the pastor say, hey, the title of my sermon is Anticipating the Moment. I would have said, yeah, I'm anticipating the moment. I'm anticipating the moment I get up in the morning, and I run down on Christmas Day, and I go under the tree, and I open up the presents for me. That's what my, would, my, would, my response would have been. I would have been all about giving gifts and getting gifts. Wouldn't have been about Jesus. But because I would have been sitting in the audience with you growing up, and I would have heard all the Christmas carols, I would have heard the scriptures being read, this question would have came to my mind. I would have been a little confused, and I would have said, why would all these people be anticipating the birth of Christ? I mean, why is the birth of Christ so important? Now, you might be like me. You might be sitting out there asking that question, kind of wondering, like, why is the birth of Christ so important? Why were so many people anticipating that? And if that's your question, I want to help answer that question. Because once I got to college, there was a young lady who began to answer those questions for me. And if you're like me, I want to help you understand that this morning. Matter of fact, our scriptures gives us the answer. In verse 10, it says this. But the angels said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now notice it says all the people. Not some of the people. All the people. That means this is good news for all of us. It's good news. And what is the good news? It tells us in verse 11, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. A Savior has been born. His name is Christ the Lord. You see, when the shepherds would have said that to 
I'm sorry, the angels would have said that to the shepherds. They, they would have got really excited because for thousands of years, the Jewish people were looking forward to the Messiah, the one who would be born and would deliver them not only physically, but spiritually. You see, they understood that they had, they had broken the laws of God. They understood that God needed to forgive them. They needed to be forgiven because they broke the laws of God. So they were looking forward to that one who would come to deliver them, to forgive them of their sin. You know, we're just like the Jewish people. We know that we've broken the laws of God. I don't believe that there's anybody in this place that would stand up and say, hey, I'm perfect, Ed. No, no, I don't need a savior, I'm perfect. I've never broken the laws of God. I've never done anything. I haven't lied, I haven't cheated, I haven't been angry. I have always loved God perfectly, and I've always loved my neighbor perfectly. Now, if I stood up and said that, I'll tell you this, my family and a number of you would stand up and say, Pastor Ed, you're crazy. That's not the truth. So I know that all of us are in the same boat. We wish, hey, listen, we wish we would have, we, we, we wish we could take back some of the things that we've said and done. But we've said and done them. You can't rewind the tape. We've blown it, and we know it. So we would agree with the scriptures that says this. It says this in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We'd all agree with that. But that's our problem, you see. And that's why Jesus had to come. Here's what the Bible says as well. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. In other words, when we sin, we broke the laws of God and we also, our relationship with God was broken. Our, spiritually, we were dead. And that was our problem. That's why Jesus Christ was sent. He was sent to die for the sins that we've committed so that we could be bought, brought back into a right relationship with God. This is what the Bible says. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, Jesus came, yes, he went to a manger. But he didn't stay in that cradle, if you will. He ended up going to a cross. And there he died on the cross for our sin. He who knew, knew no sin became sin for us. And he died. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. In order to pay off our debt of breaking God's law, someone had to die. Jesus Christ died in our place. He who knew no sin became the perfect sacrifice for us. And God's wrath fell upon him so it doesn't have to fall upon us. That's why Jesus died on that cross. He died for the sins of the world. So he alone has the power and the authority to forgive us of our sins. Why? Because he didn't just die on the cross. He walked out of the grave. And when he walked out of the grave, he overcame death. He alone has the power and the authority to forgive you of your sin and to give to all of us eternal life. In other words, once we believe in Christ, he alone has the power to forgive you and to guarantee that heaven will be your home. See, that's why people were anticipating the birth of Christ. They were looking for that day that they could know that they were forgiven and that heaven was their home. Listen, listen, listen what the Bible says. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, it says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. So that you may know what? The word know there means literally to know for certain. To know guaranteed. And what are we guaranteed? Hear this. This, that you have 
eternal life. And how do you get this? By believing in Jesus Christ. The Bible also says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In verses 10 and 11, it says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess that you are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him, meaning Jesus, will never be put to shame. Over in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What this is all about is believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised again from the dead. The moment you transfer your trust from yourself to him, in that moment, Jesus Christ has the power and authority to forgive you of your sin, to put you back in a right relationship with God, and guarantees that when you pass from this life, you pass in your home is heaven with him. That's what Jesus Christ has done, and that's why so many people were so excited, waiting and anticipating the birth of Jesus Christ. I'll never forget the moment that I turned my life over to Jesus Christ, and Jesus changed my life. He guaranteed me forgiveness and brought me into a right relationship with God the Father, and I know that heaven is my home. It was June 9th, 1979. I was down at Three Rivers Stadium, standing at second base, trying out with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, before I tell you that story, let me give you, go back to the back story. Remember, I didn't grow up in the church. My father was an atheist. I never did what you're doing until I was almost 22 years old. But while I was growing up, Jesus, to me, was something that you said when you were angry. I had no clue of who he was or what he had done for me until I got to college. And there at college, a young lady came to me, and she started talking to me about Jesus Christ. And she started telling me, and, and I'm, I'm talking about months after months, talking to me about Jesus, answering all the questions that I had about him, telling, you, telling me some of the things that I told you this morning. And I remember one time she looked at me, she said, Ed, what's your greatest need? And I said to play baseball for the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's what I think. I think once I play for them, everything's going to be perfect. And she said to me, well, what, what happens if you're not good enough? What happens if you get hurt, you get too old, you can't play the game anymore? And when you finally hit that wall, Ed, and you will, when you hit that wall, I am saying to you that there's more to life than baseball. Matter of fact, there's more than life than, that's, that's going on right now. There is life after death. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, and he was raised again from the dead, and he has the power and authority to guarantee that you're forgiven and heaven is your home. And she said, do you not want to know him? And I said, well, that's good for you, Anna, but I, I'm all about baseball. So I graduated from college. And there I was at Three Rivers Stadium in 1979 on June 9th. They brought everybody that they were drafting that year together to look at them one more time. And when they're looking at you, they do a couple of things. One thing is they run a 60-yard dash. So everybody lines up and runs to find out who the fastest person is in the camp. The second thing that they do is they put you out in right field and you throw from right field into home plate to see who has the strongest arm. The third thing that they do is they stand you at home plate and you run from home to first to see who's the fastest from home to first. And the last thing you do is you play an inter-squad game. So there we are, all of us men, lined up in lines, two by two, running and they're timing us. And after everybody had ran the 60-yard dash, they called two numbers out, mine and a kid from Wheeling, West Virginia. We line back up, we run again, and I beat him. 
And I'm walking over towards second base. I'm standing literally at second base. And my scout comes running up to me and he says, Ed, you're the fastest guy in the camp. All you've got to do is throw and we will sign in the first, second, or third round. And he turns around and he walks away from me. He had no clue that I had hurt my arm. And that the whole season, my college senior year, they stuck me out in left field. And if you know anything about baseball, they bring a cutoff man way out there and they hid me out in left field because I didn't have an arm anymore. So I just made these really short throws. So when he walked away from me, the fear that I had was facing me. That I was not going to be able to throw. And right then in that moment, Anna's conversation came back into my mind. She said, when you hit that wall, when you're not good enough, or you get hurt, or there's Jesus Christ. Now, nobody had to tell me about the fact that I had broken the laws of God. I knew that I had done all kinds of crazy things. I knew that. So I knew I needed a Savior. I just didn't want him at that time. But right now, I was wanting Jesus. And you know what? She also told me, she said, but when you come to Jesus, Ed, you've got to be committed to him like you were committed to baseball. You can't, either you go all the way or don't go at all. So I knew exactly what I was doing, and I knelt down at second base, and I asked Jesus Christ to forgive me, and I asked him to be my Savior. And then I remembered, right after that moment, I remembered that Jesus, I mean, that Anna said that Jesus could heal. So I prayed this prayer. Lord Jesus, if you could heal, it would be a great time to do it right now. <laughs> well, I got up, and I walked out into right field, and I threw, and I threw horribly. Well, to go through this story quickly, the end of the, I mean, we, we, had, a great, we had a great time. I, I was the fastest guy from home to first. We had a great inter-squad game. I actually hit one off the wall. I had a great day, except I couldn't throw. Two weeks later, the guy from Wheeling, West Virginia, that I beat in the 60-yard dash got signed in the seventh round, and my name was nowhere. But two weeks after that, I was driving my car, and a semi almost hit me head-on, and I drove out into a grape vineyard, and my hands were up on the steering wheel, and my heart was up in my throat. And I was scared to death. I really was. But I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. That I knew if I would have died right there and then, I knew that I was going to heaven. I knew it. I pulled that car out of the ditch, drove back home, picked up the phone, and I asked Anna. I said, Anna. I called her on the phone. I said, Anna. What happened to me? She said, did you commit yourself to Christ? I said, yes, I did. She said, well, now you're a child of God's. You know Jesus, and Jesus has put you back in a right relationship with God. You're forgiven. Heaven's your home. Now you need to go to church. You need to start reading the Bible. You need to start growing in your relationship with God. So I did. And then God called me into ministry. And as he called me into ministry, I ended up coming back to Pittsburgh. And I was a pastor downtown at Allegheny Center Alliance Church for a while. Then my wife and I started Urban Impact Foundation. And I started doing chapels with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And those guys started getting involved with the chapel, I mean with the uh, foundation, working with kids. And then one day at Three Rivers Stadium, they had an Urban Impact Day. And there I was standing at second base at Three Rivers Stadium, giving a plaque to the third baseman at that time, Jeff King. And the reporters are there taking pictures. I got hundreds of kids behind me. We're up on the, the big screen. It was a great day. And I was, I was standing there at second base giving this plaque. This verse came to my mind. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me break down that verse. 
For we are God's workmanship. In other words, God created you. He used your mom and dad to make you, but God created you in your mother's womb. And when he created you, he created you for a purpose. And the second thing that it says there in that verse, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. In other words, those of us who transfer our trust from ourselves to Jesus Christ, we're not only created by God, but we become a child of God's. We begin a relationship with him. So I stood there at second base and I realized, man, God created me. I have a relationship with God. I'm part of the family of God. Then the verse says this, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I realized, in advance for us to do, what's that all about? In other words, God knew about you and knew about me before he ever created the heavens or the earth. God is all-knowing. There's no surprises. He knows everything. And he knew, and he knows about you. He, know, he knew about me. And I realized, wow, I was chosen for such a time as this to be alive in this generation. I could have been born in the 1400s, the 1500s, but I was alive in in, at this time, 1995, standing at third base, giving a plaque to Jeff King because God had a purpose for my life. And right then I realized, good grief, I was standing at second base 16 years ago, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and now I'm standing here with hundreds of kids behind me whose lives have been changed. I am now making an impact. Now Urban Impact impacts thousands of people on the north side of Pittsburgh, and I'm standing up here right now preaching to you because in that moment, I not only came to Christ where my sins were forgiven, and not only that I know that heaven is my home and that I'm in a right relationship with God, but I'm fulfilling the purpose that God created me. Hear me on this. You can live life for success. You can live life for success, and I'll tell you what, you'll be disappointed. But when you begin to live your life for significance, your whole life changes. When you begin to live your life to make an impact in others, when you begin to live your life and take the resources that you have, not only to bless you, but bless others, when you begin to stop thinking about you and start thinking about the world that is around you, you begin to do those things. You wake up every morning knowing that you're forgiven, that heaven's your home, and that you are fulfilling the purpose that God created you, and it is freeing. It is deliberate. It it absolutely delivered me from all the things that I was in bondage of. Let me say this to you this morning. If you're here, and this is Christmas season, Jesus Christ is right in this room, right here, right now, and he wants you to know what I know. He wants you to know that you're forgiven. He wants you to know that heaven is your home and that he has a purpose for you. But there's something that you've got to do if you're like me. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never believed in him, you've got to believe. What's it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? What's it mean to turn your life over to him? It means this. First, you've got to admit that you are in need of a savior. You're not perfect. Second, you've got to transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus Christ. In other words, you've got to believe what Jesus Christ did on that cross, he did for you. You don't have to do anything more. You don't have to add to it, subtract from it. Jesus did it all on that cross. And then he was raised again from the dead, and because he lives, you can have a personal relationship with him. And that means you need to commit yourself to him. And you need to either go all the way or don't go at all. So I want to say that to you. If you're not willing to go all the way, then don't mess around. Don't even pray this prayer that I'm going to ask you to pray for, because it won't mean anything. Because you can't 
really start a relationship with Jesus Christ until you're willing to commit yourself. When I stood up in front of a service one day, I committed my, my life to my wife. And I said, I'm committed to you. And I did it publicly. I didn't do it behind closed doors. I said, I'm committed. Jesus Christ hung on a cross, my friend, and he committed himself to you. He hung there naked and died for you publicly. And he's saying to us today, he's saying to you, He's saying, I have done all this for you, but I'm asking you to commit yourself to me, and when you commit yourself to me, who created you, and you'll be part of the family of God, and I have a purpose for your life, I will be able to lead and guide and direct you because I made you. I will turn you into something that you never believed you could be. You want that today? You want that this Christmas? That's the gift that God gives to all of us. The only way you receive that gift is by taking it yourself. Would you bow your heads with me? Just like I was at second base and I gave my life to Christ, you could do that this morning and God will change your life. And it's simply just asking Jesus to forgive you of your sin and asking him to forgive you and then committing yourself to him and starting this brand new relationship. If you would like to pray this prayer with me and you're saying, Pastor Ed, I need to pray. I want Jesus in my life. If that's you today, would you please just lift your hand up? Just lift your hand up. Let me know, and as I see your hand, I'm going to pray with you. Anybody? Anybody here this morning that would like to pray that prayer with me? Yes, I see you in the back. Thank you very much. Those of you, there's a couple of you that are praying with me, and that's what I prayed. I was anticipating that hopefully somebody this morning would come to know Jesus. Let's pray. Just pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, I thank you for what Jesus Christ has done for me. And I would ask this morning that Jesus would forgive me of my sin and I commit myself to him. I commit myself to you, Jesus. And I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. Now fill me with your spirit and help me to live for you every day. Help me to come to church. Help me to pray. Help me to read the Bible so that I can know how to grow in my relationship with you. Thank you for what you've done today in my life. Thank you that I know now that I'm forgiven, I'm in a right relationship with the Father, and that heaven is my home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer, we have some information that we'd love to give to you. I'll be standing in the back as you come by. Please tell me that you prayed so that I can give that information to you. God bless you. Let us continue to celebrate. Keith, lead us in a song.